as, uh, as the kids and our children's ministry and our children's church leaders leave, um, I want to just reminisce a little bit about this past week. Um, there are a number of things that Aaron uh, preached on. Uh, one of the most impactful for me was the statement is, uh, uh, what do I want? Uh, has anybody else been asking that question? Uh, a few of us, maybe, if you were listening to that sermon, it's, it was the idea, where does conflict come from? And, and he, said, um, he said, it can really be boiled down to uh, when two people come together or groups come together or multiple groups come together and each one is asking the question, what do I want? And uh, they all want something different, as usually where conflict comes from. Uh, I want to just say that what I wanted for this past week was really just to build a... Um, an exposure, I should say, just grant an exposure to you of the coffee team. They will not be back through New England for about three years. Uh, so I hope that uh, we might consider having them again um, and maybe having some other uh, groups uh, that might come in and challenge us. But I was, I was uh, we just sang that song, Revive Us Again, and I was uh, asked actually a number of times. So if, if you're one of the ones that asked me, you're not the only one who asked me, um, why didn't we call that a revival? you know, services. Why didn't we, why do we, I use the word evangelistic um, uh, and revival. And I think there's different ways of, of communicating what it is we were trying to get done. My, my hope was just to expose you to the coffee team uh, for the ministry this year, but really for, uh, for you to understand that in three years from now when they come, you'll have a better understanding of who they are. You will have more confidence in them. And, and, uh, and then maybe we can see a greater impact in our community by them being here with us. Uh, because there is this, this aspect of our faith and, and the way we live out our faith. We, we, we want people of integrity to be behind this pulpit. We want people with integrity to be uh, promoting uh, the gospel and promoting this church and, and ministering the gospel to others. Because I think integrity is, is something that... Um, people respect. Uh, in the last number of years, we've seen many uh, church leaders fail in the area of integrity. And it's a sad thing to watch. Uh, and it's uh, being, I mean, honestly, I, I, I think every pastor that stands behind a pulpit is paying the price for the pastors who have stood behind very famous pulpits and, and then have fallen into uh, immorality or have um, just been lying. Uh, and, and I think we all pay a price for that. Uh, but I think we all pay a price also for our brothers and sisters in Christ who do similar things um, in, the ter- in the sense that they're not living out their Christian life. As we are, are engaging in our study in Matthew, um, uh, we, we want to be people who actually uh, recognize Jesus as the king. And as, as we are studying Matthew 5, uh, 6, and 7, which is famously known as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is conveying teaching for citizens of the kingdom. And it's been honestly very basic type truth. I mean, uh, really, we're from, if you've been around Christianity for long, if you've read through the Gospel of Matthew, you know some of these things. Uh, but I, I want to just uh, let you know that as we studied Matthew 5, 31 and 32, there's one truth that we were looking at from that passage, but it falls in line with the other ones. So far, we have seen that, that kingdom righteousness, the righteousness that, that really characterizes Jesus Christ and his kingdom. 
And if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of that kingdom. And this, the way that, that he is calling uh, citizens of the kingdom to live, he's calling us to live. But as we discussed in Sunday school, there are people who think they're within the kingdom and they're not. And so let me just say from the forefront, as we talk about uh, anger, sinful desire, which is lust, uh, if we talk about divorce, as we talk about the various sins that that Matthew is pointing out, uh, we have to, to, and I lost my train of thought. It's one of those things where I hate when that happens because this is like, we, we did this in Sunday school. But we were, we were talking about the fact that there are people who, uh, who believe that morality is Christianity. And morality is not Christianity. But Christianity is characterized by morality. It has, as we, uh, true morality is a reflection of the character of God in our life. It, it represents the Word of God plainly and clearly for people. People respect integrity. People respect morality, although we might argue on over what that might mean. But as we go through this, kingdom righteousness is not just morality. This is the righteousness that is only possible because of, our, uh, of having Christ in us. Right? So kingdom righteousness sees sinful anger as murder. It's a spectrum. Our anger, our internal unspoken anger at, a, at, some, at some other person is uh, Jesus exposes our heart and says, hey, you're on the spectrum of murder. And therefore, you're guilty of that. Sinful desires or lust is, is it, you violate the command to not commit adultery. It's on the same spectrum. It's the same root and so therefore, citizens of the kingdom don't do these things, but it's not just don't do them, it's, it's practice righteousness, trust in uh, your relationship with God to, to lead you out of those temptations and to prevent you from these sins. And then last week, or two weeks ago, and the last time we were in this text, it sees sinful divorce as a multiplier of adultery. It kind of builds on the, on the, on the previous one, but it's saying, listen, divorce Oh, my word, you think it's messy uh, in, in a legal sense. It's messy in a relational sense. It's messy in a spiritual sense. And, and sin is proliferated as a result of it. And, and so as, king, as we're looking at kingdom righteousness, we're supposed to just run from all these things. We are not supposed to be engaging in these things. This quote is what I intended to finish with uh, two weeks ago, and I failed to do it, so I'm just going to start it off today because I think it can segue into what we're talking about today. Uh, as we were talking about divorce, uh, this quote is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm not going to go into his history. Some of you may know him. Some of you may like him. Some of you may not like him, to be honest with you. Uh, uh, he, has, he's prolific, he was prolific uh, a, a writer of theology. Um, uh, but he wrote this. He said, it is not your love that sustains the marriage, but the marriage that sustains your love. And I'm just going to park on this because this, this will help us lead into this next section that we're looking at. But as we think about it, we are live in a world that, that puts love uh, in a very prominent pay, uh, place in their lives. But it's, it's not Christian love. It's more physical love. It's more uh, emotional love. And, and we often hear, if we just have love, we have everything in our marriage, right? We fall into love as high school sweethearts, and, and we just need love, you know. And there's songs written about it. I won't sing them, all right? But it's this reality. Love is important, folks. Don't get me wrong. Love is essential to marriage. 
But think about what this quote is saying. It's not love that sustains the marriage. How often as we have we heard people say, I don't, I fell out of love with you. I have I know people who have been divorced. I know people whose marriages have been rocky. I've walked with some of them to restoration. I've walked with some of them to continued sin and, and, and dissolution of the marriage. It is not your love that sustains the marriage. But what does this mean? The mar- but it's marriage that sustains your love. Marriage is this covenantal relationship. So I, I put it this way. The foundation of a marriage is the covenant. And I'm going to put all these terms together because they're similar. The covenant, the promise, the vow, the oath made between a man and a woman before God. I have to believe this is true because I have stood before many congregations and many brides and grooms uh, and, and before God with each one, and I have performed the marriage ceremony. And whether there are two believers or two unbelievers coming together, they're coming together and they're, they're making, they may not call it a covenant, they may not call it a, a, an oath, But it's very common in wedding terminology to talk about promise or vow. They are making a commitment to one another. It's a very serious commitment. And if if someone doesn't get married in a church building, it doesn't somehow nullify the marriage or or, uh, diminish the marriage. I don't think it necessarily uh, communicates uh, all that it can uh, and I, that's just a personal opinion because many of us aren't married in churches. And, and uh, I know the church that Christine and I were married in wasn't even really, we didn't know it at the time, but uh, it was just a, a church we found that we could use. But uh, they were not faithful to the gospel. And, and the guy that married, performed our marriage ceremony later was divorced. And, and um, so as, as, as you think about marriage, which is really looking at this idea of, divo- you know, the idea of divorce, avoiding divorce, we, we said basically we're looking for faithfulness in marriage. And faithfulness in marriage is a commitment to the promise, the vow, the oath, the covenant. That's what gets you through the hard times in marriage. Love, if it's, a, if it's simply an expression of emotion, will, it is not strong enough to get you through the difficult times. A commitment and recognizing that when you stood there that day, you were promising something that God is going to hold you accountable for. And when we, when we violate our faithfulness, and uh, whether through adultery or through any number of ways of sinning against our spouse, when we violate that covenant, that oath, that promise, that, that vow, there are consequences. And so I'm a, I'm a big fan of marriage, personally. Uh, I, I, I'm, uh, I meet with couples all the time. Uh, usually I'm meeting with couples that are... Uh, you know, uh, just before they're married, but uh, I, I, I love meeting with any couple because I love to talk about the marriage relationship because I believe that there's no marriage that can't be saved if it's submitted to the will of God in Christ. Two sinners who have been sinning against each other maybe for a few months or many, many years, right? Anything can be submitted to the Lord and redeemed. I have seen marriages where, where the husband was, was uh, well, I already shared that story a couple weeks ago. Two different marriages where it was on the brink. There's no way it should have survived, and it survived. 
So I, I just want to finish that off because as we talk about this marriage covenant and as we look at these other words, I, I want to I say love is the way we live out our commitment to our spouse, right? That's what love is meant to be, right? Love is the expression of this commitment we have. And sometimes it's tough love but uh, as we go through. But in a similar fashion, the way we follow through with our commitments to others. Let's, get, let's step out of the marriage uh, relationship for a moment. What about the, how do we follow through with our commitments to others? Because it's also a matter of kingdom righteousness. And I, I think this, we're just touching on one aspect of this, uh, but kingdom righteousness demands that citizens of the kingdom be truthful. You're going to go home today and you're saying, someone, someone that wasn't with you is like, hey, how was church today? Oh, it was good. What did the pastor preach? He said, oh, we should tell the truth. That's exactly what I'm telling you. It's not Brain surgery, heart surgery. Uh, I couldn't even do a, a you know, a toenail surgery or whatever. I mean, it, it's, not, it's not difficult. This is something we teach to our children. Be truthful. But before we go any further, let me just ask you this morning. How are you doing in this area? Are you a person of integrity? Are you, are you truthful? In the biblical sense, I, I, I thought about it this way, just to make us think through it a little bit. Are we full of truth? Uh, I, and again, I, I'm asking you to consider your whole life, but now I'm also asking you just, how about this morning? Have you been full of truth this morning? Does, is, is truth something that just exudes out of you? Is it characteristic of your life? Because as we get into today's text, we're going to be talking about oaths. And, and honestly, many of us don't make oaths, but we do make vows. We do make promises. So I want to just, when we are full of truth, there's no room for what? For white lies. Have you told a white lie this morning? Now, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing here too, right? I mean, I'm just like, listen, none of us have arrived. And there, uh, I, I told the Sunday school class, there's a book called you know, Respectable Sins. And, and, and I'm not gonna, I haven't even read the book. I just I'm aware of it. I, I think it's another Piper book, I think. But I, I'm just saying it's, it's the idea there are certain sins out there that we treat somehow differently than other sins. Kind of like we treat divorce as the unforgivable sin or, or other, other sins as an unforgivable sin. Like, I can't believe they did that. I'm not guilty of that. That's what Jesus was addressing in the earlier text. But as we think about this, there are certain lying just doesn't seem to be on the same par with murder and adultery. But it is. It is. When, we're, when we are full of truth, there's no room for white lies. You might have your own definition of a white lie, but it's uh, usually people talk about a white lie. They're trying to dress up a lie uh, by making it white, right? Making it bright. It's, it's like Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and saying, you are whitewashed sepulchers. On the outside you look nice, but on the inside you're dead men's bones. A sepulcher is a grave, right? And they paint it white, or a, a headstone, I think. Uh, either way, it's the idea of let's dress up death so it looks pretty. It's the idea of a lie is a lie. 
And when, if we're called to be full of truth. So there's no room for white lies or half-truths or shading of the truth. These are all different words we use. Well, I'm shading the truth a little. Have you repented from that? Right? I mean, so we're telling on ourselves, but we'll say these things out loud to people. Well, it's a little white lie. It doesn't really matter. It's not like I killed anybody. It's a sin. When we are full of truth, there is no room for dishonesty, deceit, loopholes, or fine print. I just tried to throw a bunch of words that might communicate to you uh, the seriousness of what we're talking about. We are called to be full of truth. We would, we, we're probably characterized, we would say we're not dishonest people. I pay my taxes. I, you know, I, 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 you know, someone drops their wallet, I give it back to them. Speaking of which, didn't even realize this. Uh, somebody left a jacket in here the other night. It's in my office. There's cash in it. Okay? You tell me what it says on the jacket, I'll give you the cash. Okay. And the, and the jacket. All right. But uh, just so you know, I, it's, I have it. Nobody grow running in the office, okay? All right. So, uh, but listen, uh, deceit. I think we're capable of deceit as individuals, as Christians. We, we, we're deceptive. You know, we get asked that. <laughs> the one illustration I thought of, gentlemen, uh, that always makes us squirm is when the whole, the whole question, ready for it? It's what all men dread. Honey, does this dress make me look Right? I won't even finish it. Right? Does this? <laughs> Frightening question. We're capable of saying, oh, no. Uh, hey, listen. Careful what you ask for. You may get the, uh, an honest answer. All right? Uh, but uh, anyway, we'll keep going. Loopholes. I, I, I wanted to use loopholes and fine print for the next slide. All right? We do have a lawyer in the room. At least one. Okay? At least one. I won't name him. Uh, but he's in the center of the room in the back. Um, uh, but here's what the big print giveth, the small print taketh away. All right. Now, I'm glad we can't read that because that, the wording down there is very unkind to lawyers. And I know the lawyer, probably any lawyers in the room, is a very nice person here. So we have fun about it. But uh, it says at the bottom, at lawyer issues, right? That's where it came from. But I thought what this is really saying, what the big print giveth, the small print taketh away, it's the idea of I am saying yes, but really I'm saying no. And we go into our lives this way sometimes, where, we're, where, where we wanna, we're trying to dress up a lie to make it look like the truth. And, and we have to be careful when we're doing that, because when we're doing that, we're practicing deceit. Loopholes and contracts are there. And, and what, what the text is going to be bringing out today is the reality that when, when, when we approach our life, sometimes we approach it in such a way where we actually say one thing, but we mean something else. Sometimes, and many times, consciously, we say these things. A person who is full of truth reflects the character of Jesus Christ. We are not supposed to be characterized by loopholes and, and, and small print. Isn't it good news that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not contain fine print? You can be forgiven of your sins for eternity. Fine print is not there. What, what would be the fine print if it was there? Well, it would be the, some of the things that other 
religious groups put in there. Jesus Christ is Savior of the world. He died on the cross for the sins of all people at all time. And it covers all the sin. There is no sin that the blood of Christ cannot redeem. That is the gospel. What's the fine print? But you must do some works to earn it. Or the one I, I was brought up believing is, well, the, the blood of Jesus Christ is good for original sin, but you have to do works. So, so the gates of, of heaven are open, but you have to do good works to walk through those gates. That's a lie. It's all of Jesus. And so when I, when I say a person who is full of truth reflects the character of Jesus Christ, this is part of the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No small print. No, no, nothing there. He's very, it's categorical. He is the truth. It's not that he possesses the truth. It's not that he uh, engages in the truth once in a while. He is the truth in the same way that he is the way. The way where? The way to the Father. And he is the life, the everlasting life. Jesus Christ is all these things. And when we are full of truth, we reflect this character of Jesus. And, and that's part of our Christian walk, is we want to look more and more like Jesus, which means other people will see Jesus in us. I think it was uh, uh, Ron Hamilton that sings the song, uh, uh, I saw Jesus in you, and it was, he was writing this song. He's now with the Lord, I think, isn't he? Isn't he with the Lord now? And, uh, but he wrote that song about his dad. What a great testimony to parenting. I saw Jesus in you. Can your children say that about you? Can your grandchildren say that about you? Can your spouse say that about you? A person who is full of truth reflects the character of Jesus Christ. Oh, we're talking about honesty, integrity. We're talking about, you know, simple, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. We'll look at some of these scriptures in a minute. But I, I just want to just say, this is not simple. It's simple. It's not easy, I should say. It's simple, not easy. All right, so as we go into verse 33 and 37, we've already had it read for us, but I just want to, verse 33, you have heard that it was said. Here's another one. There's six of them. This is the fourth one. You've heard it said, but I say. And, and we've already talked. Jesus isn't doing away with the law. He's clarifying it. He's exposing it. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Now, this is true. They were told this. All right, let's look at some of, the, some of the places, right? Exodus 27. You shall not take the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This, this idea of, of take, I actually went back and watched. How many of you remember who preached the message on this command when we were going through the series in Exodus? Who can tell me who preached this message? Pastor Dan. All right? I love Pastor Dan. He's not a pastor here anymore, but I still love him, and, and I hope you do too. But he, I went back and watched it. It was a fabulous message on what it means to, take, you know, to not take the, God's name in vain. Or, uh, he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It, the, he, he identified the idea of take is that word of, of to bear. It can also mean bear. And it's the idea of we bear the name of Christ. 
If we call ourselves a Christian, we're bearing the name of Christ. I'm cutting through his whole message and just giving you a part of it, right? It's like we bear his name. But when we're lying, we're cheating, we're stealing, we're committing adultery, we're angry with our brother, we're doing all the things we shouldn't, we are not bearing the name well, right? We're bearing it in, in, in vanity. It does, it's not meaning anything. It's not making a difference in our life. He says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It's not just profanity that we're talking about, although I think using the Lord's name in vain, in a vain way, in a useless way, to evoke the name of Jesus as a way of expressing frustration somehow just doesn't fit the picture of the gospel. But that's not all he's talking about, and that's not what's being talked about as we look at these passages of Scripture. Exodus 20, 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You, shall not, you should not take uh, that idea of bear and, and take is the same idea, right? The idea of a false witness. You're gonna, are you a liar? I'm going to say that this person in a court of law, I'm going to say that this person did a crime that he didn't do, or I'm going to say this, crime, this person didn't do a crime that he did do. I'm a, I'm a witness to it, and I'm lying. He's saying, no, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Does it remind you of a story? Well, who's my neighbor? Everyone is your neighbor. Leviticus 19.12, And you shall not swear by, by, me, uh, by my name falsely. This is more in the context of the passage of Matthew. I'll explain in a minute. You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The, the, uh, the, the, the text that we're looking at is Jesus uh, talking to his disciples, his, his future kingdom dwellers, right? Uh, but he's, it's in response to this idea that, remember, your righteousness must, must exceed the righteousness of the, the scribes and Pharisees, right? These, these amazing people that memorized the, 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 the Scripture and everything. But they were, they were in the practice of swearing by God falsely. And, and, and he actually fleshes this out later in Matthew. And kind of like the divorce thing, I don't want to sit there and, and preach that text until Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit, I should say, through, through, uh, through Matthew, uh, records it for us. We'll deal with it when we get there. But there's more to say about this idea of bearing false witness and what it means. But in Jesus' day, when he was, and I should say the disciples' day, there were all these teachers, and they were teaching falsely. They were, they were saying God said this, but he didn't say it, or they were saying he didn't say it when he did. All right, Deuteronomy 23, 21, when you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it will be sin to you if, if you do not follow through on the vow. This is Old Testament teaching. It's saying, listen, there, there were vows that were made, uh, and, and just because I may not remember to say it later, God made oaths and vows. Uh, he says in Hebrews 6, and I didn't put it on a slide, but he says in Hebrews 6, uh, the author of Hebrews is explaining, since God couldn't swear by anyone greater than himself, he swore by himself. He swore in his own name because he, he's perfect, he's holy. And, and, and so he, he took an oath, and, and that oath was his commitment to us. It's called the gospel. He said, I'm going to, uh, throughout Scripture, he says, I'm promising things. I'm making vows to you. I'm making covenants with you. 
And because of my nature as full of truth and truth and uh, uh, all truth, I, I can make this promise and you can trust in it. He says, listen, if you make it, when you make a vow, he's not saying if. He says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you better keep it. God will hold you accountable. All right. I know this, I actually know a young lady who um, this particular verse haunts her. Because she's afraid that she's made vows that she hasn't kept. And she's, she's concerned. And by the way, I'm not making fun of her in the least. I have walked this road with her for years. And, and uh, she's just saying, surely God's going to require it. And, and, uh, and I just try to speak life into her and, and help her understand some things. But those are some of the Old Testament passages that, that say, again, you've heard it said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely. You shouldn't. That word swear is the idea of oath, vow, those type things. Don't, don't make an oath falsely. In other words, make an oath when you, don't mean, when you don't intend to keep it. But shall perform your oaths to the Lord. You should perform your oaths. But notice this. He says, perform your oaths to the Lord. That's what they've heard. And we just looked at the scripture that said that. But Jesus is going to reveal the real intent of the law. Verse 34, but I say to you, do not swear at all. And we're not talking about profanity. He's talking about don't make oaths. Don't make vows. Don't make promises. Don't make covenants. That idea, I'm just saying, he says oaths. The idea of swear is the idea of making an oath. It is, it is the idea, don't, don't do it at all. But there's, there's more that he says, all right? He says, uh, he says, don't swear at all. So this would be one of those passages where it might seem like we said, Jesus says, I didn't come to, uh, to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. The law says don't bear sw uh, swear falsely. And you're saying don't swear at all. That's not a contradiction. All right? He goes on to explain what he means. It's reminiscent of James 5, 12, just the first part. We'll see the rest of it later. He says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear. James is, is uh, rehearsing or, or uh, reiterating the teaching of Jesus, right? Uh, he says that in, in, in James 5, 12, the other passage that is very similar to the one we're in. Uh, but he says, do not swear at all. And then he explains a whole lot. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, neither by the earth, for it's his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, don't swear at all. Does, it, does he mean that I shouldn't, I shouldn't make a promise to my bride or groom as you come across? No, he's not saying that. He's like, don't make your oaths, you know, uh, in such a way where you're looking for a way out. Don't make a promise that you don't intend to keep. Don't make a vow that you plan to, to violate. Don't, don't make a promise when it's empty. He's saying, listen, don't sit there. Because re the reality of what an oath and a, uh, these things mean, it's the idea of, of um, what he's getting at. And the, the simple one is, there's two simple ones. Sticks and stones, no, that's not the one. That's the wrong one. Uh, cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a in my, that's gross. Right? Have you thought about that? I mean, that would hurt. Stick a needle in my, what, what the person is saying, listen, I'm telling the truth. 
cross my heart. If I'm not telling the truth, may, may I have a heart attack? St you know, uh, cross my heart. I hope to die. Right? Stick a needle. In, stick a needle in my. If I'm if I'm lying, stick a needle in my. I'm, I'm really, really telling you the truth. What does that really say about the person's character? They're saying, I'm untrustworthy because I have to go to extra measures to get you to believe me. He's going to culminate this whole thing with that, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Isn't your yes good enough? Isn't your no good enough? Do you, Christine, take Greg to be your husband? I do. Really? Not cross my heart, hope to die? Stick a needle in my eye? Uh, do I, 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 can you show me a little bit more? Uh, that would be questioning her character. The other thing, the other simple one is, is uh, listen, I won a million dollars. I just wanted you to know that. Cross my fingers. Nah, it really doesn't count, right? You're saying something that is not true. Jesus is combating the, the wrong way that religion was being practiced in his day. Oaths were prolific. But the reality of the oaths that he was confronting is the religious establishment had a system for evaluating which oaths were valid and which ones were invalid. And he points to some of these. He says, listen, because uh, you know, the idea of if you make a vow to the Lord, you must fulfill it. We just looked at that verse. And if you don't, you're going to pay the price, right? There will be consequences. But they came up with ingenious ways of kind of getting close to that without actually invoking the name of God. He says, listen, I say, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, right? For it is God's throne. So I, I prayed, I, prayed uh, I, I made an oath and I swore by heaven. Not by God, but by heaven. He says, neither, neither, nor by the earth. I, I don't know how anybody gets away with this, but I swear by the earth. Like, you can do anything to affect the earth, right? Uh, but you're basically trying to call some larger thing into the picture to say, no, I really am being honest and truthful, Nor uh, for, it is, for it is his footstool, right? Uh, which, by the way, the song said earlier, and Aaron, we're going to talk about that song because it said earth was his throne, and i I got to clarify that. But, but we know heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool, he says, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Right? So uh, probably referring, I mean, some people believe that's talking about David. I think it's talking about God, maybe even Jesus Christ, right? He says, but listen, Jerusalem is the city of God. And, and he says, oh, the heaven, earth, Jerusalem, all these things associated with God. Heaven's his dwelling place. Earth is his creation. Jerusalem's his city. And I'm swearing by these things. And what would happen is people would swear. They'd be very sincere, but they weren't sure if they were able to actually fulfill the oath or not. So they would swear by these things, but not truthfully, not with intent of, of following through no matter what. He says, nor shall you swear by your head because you cannot make one hair white or black. It's the idea of everything that you would give an oath to say, right? Anything that you would promise, any vow, anything that you would say, you don't have to swear by all those things uh, because you're guilty of the, the remember, he's not, he's not um, diminishing the law. He's not uh, uh, 
getting rid of the law. I can't remember the word I used earlier, but he's not abolishing the law. He's fulfilling it. He's saying, listen, if you want to truly understand what making an oath is, every promise is before God. Every oath, every vow. That's why two unbelievers who get married who don't even acknowledge God as being God, when they make a promise to each other, in God's eyes, they are married, right? We don't ever question that. Marriage is an institution created and established by God. And it's a picture of Christ and the church. And, and we don't have time to go into that today, but I'm just saying, listen, he's saying it doesn't matter what oath, covenant, promise you make. You're invoking my name, my presence. If you're going to say heaven, earth, uh, Jerusalem, you, even your own head, you don't have control over the color of your hair. I created that, God says. Jesus is saying here. So listen, you don't have to swear at all. And, 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 and he goes on very simply. Uh, let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than this is from the evil one. This is a simple truth. Are we people of integrity? Is our integrity so well known in our homes that when we say yes or no, it's understood. It's yes or no. When we're at work and we say yes or no, uh, do we have the reputation of, well, he said yes, so he means yes. Now, folks, I'm not saying we can't make an, uh, a mistake. We can't make an error and say, uh, yeah, that's the answer. Oh, no, I was wrong. Well, you admit you're wrong, but that's not the point. It's the idea of, you don't sit there and say one thing when, you're, when you actually mean the other or you're not confident in it. We need to be people of integrity. Think about this. If we lived in a world that was characterized by yeses being yeses and noes being noes, we wouldn't have any of those loopholes. We wouldn't have any of, those, those, uh, any of that fine print. And I don't know if you would have a job. The lawyer guy. Yeah, right, so... Right? This is our world doesn't trust each other. We do not, we are not trusting people, which is part of street smarts. But kingdom righteousness says that we are to be people of integrity, of honesty, and our yes, when we say yes, we mean it. Uh, I want to just say uh, this is the rest of James 5 1. All right, uh, but above all, my brethren, do not swear, do not make oaths, either by heaven or earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be oath, lest you fall into judgment. There are consequences to lying and not having integrity. Sometimes the, we perceive the simplest path of peace is to tell a little white lie or to uh, say yes when we really mean I don't want to. Um, listen, there's consequences to dishonesty and, and, and these things. We are supposed to be people of integrity. All right, why did I put this slide up here? That's my last slide, by the way. All right. You can imagine what you think I have it up there for. I'd love to know. I'm not going to ask you, but I'd love to know what you're thinking right now. What do we often see flowers do in a marriage? Flowers are often a sign of affection. They're often a sign of um, just, uh, I'm thinking of you. 
Uh, when we see a, a teddy bear, it just happens to be both. I used it because they're both. A, a teddy bear, sometimes we, we, uh, we give a teddy bear to a child as, as a toy, maybe some other toy, as a sign of affection. Right? But what if I, and I don't have it, what if I just put the word bribe over there? Are flowers used as a bribe? Are toys used as a bribe within our homes and in our relationships? I am trying to center on the home here. In our relationships, we can use things that say one thing when they really mean something else. Honey, here's some flowers for you. I really love you and I'm thankful. Maybe, maybe it's chocolate. She's leaving. <laughs> Someone want to go check on my wife? No, just, just kidding. All right. Don't think that didn't get at my attention, okay? So... Are flowers a means of communicating love and affection? Or is it saying, uh, I put a dent in your car today. Uh, I spent, I overspent our checking account. Um, I, I did something that is going to get me in trouble. But here, I love you, sweetie. Is that gift really an affection of love? Here's love. No. Here's get me out of trouble. And you know what? Since it's usually men that give flowers to ladies, they're not dumb. They see right through it. What about our kids? They're not necessarily as streetwise as, as. Do you think kids after a while learn that when you made a promise and you didn't follow through and you bring a toy as a consolation gift, right? I mean, one time, I, listen, I'm not, by the way, it's not wrong to give flowers. It's not wrong to give gifts, right? It's not wrong. But check your motives. Are you actually walking in integrity? Because someone who walks in honest integrity, and, and the integrity, a person of integrity will tell the truth to their hurt. Sweetie, I want to give you flowers, but before I give them to you, I want you to know, I'm not trying to bribe you. I'm not trying to do anything. But I put a dent in your car. And it's a big one. And I, I do have these flowers, but it's really because I do love you. Right? It's okay to give flowers. It's okay to give toys to children. But I'm, I'm just asking you to consider, are you characterized by integrity or are you in are you characterized by selfishness and, and looking out for your, preserving your own backside? What, what is it that you're trying to do? I, I wanted to share that because, listen, I think for the most part, Christians are probably pretty honest. But we cannot just look at honesty as a little white lie. It's a lie. It's a sin. We, and, and it's not okay. There are consequences. And you know how that works. You tell a lie, then you have to tell another lie to cover that lie. You have to tell another lie to cover that lie to cover the other lie. And eventually you are found out. And if you have told a lie, what does that make you? A liar. And Jesus is saying, listen. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, keep your oaths. He's not going to deny you should keep your oaths. 
But he's going to say, listen, I think the real point here he's saying is, be a person of integrity. My point is that you should or shouldn't make oaths. My point is, whatever you say, be honest, be truthful, live with integrity. Because I'm watching. I'm aware. Anything that you would do in your life, I'm aware. Be uh, be a person who practices kingdom righteousness. And be a person who tells the truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. It's, it's a simple lesson. One that we could probably have, have listened to and just moved on. Like, yep, don't, don't lie. Father, I just pray that you'd help us understand that making promises is in it's something we do on a regular basis. It's not wrong to make a promise. You've made us many promises. You made us a promise in the garden that one day the seed of the woman would defeat Satan. And we know that seed of that woman is Jesus Christ. And Satan has been defeated. Thank you for your promises. May we reflect your character as we make promises to one another as we speak, as we call you to, to uh, acknowledge uh, your presence in our marriage or, or in the courtroom or wherever it might be, Lord, it's, it's, it's not so much we shouldn't take any oath as much as that we should be truthful whenever we do and understand you are aware and you will hold us accountable. Father, I pray that you'd work in our homes and our marriages and our parenting in our relationship with our siblings. May we be people of integrity who love you to the degree that we will even be honest when, when it hurts us. Father, is there anyone here today that is just struggling in this area or any other area? I pray, Father, that they would understand as we look at this text of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, you are teaching kingdom principles to be obeyed by kingdom dwellers. But Father, there may be people here who aren't part of the kingdom. They have not acknowledged Jesus Christ as their king. They have not submitted in humility to, to his authority because he has all authority. And we are supposed to respond to that. And so Father, I pray that as we talk about Jesus, as we talk about him being king, that any heart today that would say, I've never acknowledged Jesus as my king, I pray that you'd humble them today. Draw them to yourself. Help them understand that their sin is something that you are fully aware of and that their sin is a, is a barrier to a relationship with you. Their morality will not suffice. They need a Savior for their sins. I pray, Lord, that you'd call them to faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, those of us who have come to faith in Christ, I pray you'd help us understand that we are to live out that faith every day in all the big ways and all the little ways. I pray that you'd be glorified as we seek to change the way we live in our homes and in our workplaces. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand once again.